Welcome back to Spare No Arrows. In this episode, we're going to be talking about a major misunderstanding with one verse that can completely change your view of what the end times are going to look like and also what the Lordship of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth looks like. It's a huge deal. It's an obvious misinterpretation, but it's not obvious until I show you exactly how obvious it is. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Spare No Arrows. My name is Cody Lawrence. We're going to be talking about eschatology or the end times today. We're really just going to be talking about a handful of verses that reference each other. But before that, I need to explain how we should properly be reading the Bible. We, under no circumstances, should ever be reading a verse out of context. We should read that verse in context, not only with the paragraph that it's in, but in the passage that it's in, and the chapter that it's in, and the book that it's in, and the testament, and the entire Bible. So we need to be looking at each verse and understand how that verse sits in the entire story of scripture. We cannot just isolate verses uh, as uh, a guy that I like says, he says, never read a Bible verse. And when there is any kind of confusion in the Bible, or maybe we we don't think there's confusion, um, but maybe confusion could be revealed when we see the Bible using the same term in two different ways. In reality, we should be using scripture, the Bible, to interpret other parts of the Bible. And it does that for us. Whenever we see something being said in the New Testament, it will tell us what things in the Old Testament actually mean. And whenever we see something from the Old Testament being referenced in the New Testament, it also must have that same meaning. And so that is the principle that I'm going to apply, that principle of hermeneutics or the way that we interpret scripture uh, to this passage. And the passage is this. It's Matthew 24, 29 through 31. And so I'm going to read it to, uh, to us here. And I'm going to explain what most people's interpretation of this passage is if we take it in isolation. And then I'm going to give you some other passages in the Bible that sheds light on what this actually means. So here we go. Matthew 24, 29 through 31. It says this immediately. This is Jesus speaking immediately after the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes on earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So that's the passage. So the common interpretation of this is that, well, Jesus must obviously be talking about the second coming. Where we see where every person sees the Son of Man coming to us on the clouds of heaven. 
there will be great tribulation. Uh, the you know every, you know stars will go dark. You know asteroids. Uh, you know horrible tragedy, calamity, whatever. That seems to be what this is describing. And then after Jesus returns on the clouds of heaven to earth. Uh, then angels will go out and gather all of the elect to him where, you know, say the the new heavens and the new earth will be created, right? I think that's the common interpretation of this. But would it shock you if I were to say that's not actually what this means? That seems to be the obvious interpretation if we look at this passage. But um, if we look at other passages in the Bible and see what those mean compared to this, it's actually not what it means at all. The key verse here, I think, is, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. That is actually a reference to another verse in the Bible. It's in Daniel 7, uh, another prophetic verse talking about, you know, perhaps the end times or perhaps the second coming or whatever. So let's see what Daniel has to say about it. Notice the same phrase being used coming on the clouds of heaven. And let's try to piece together what this means. Daniel 7, 13 through 14. I, and this is Daniel's um, prophetic vision that he's having. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Same language, right? One like the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed okay so if if we're not paying close attention and we interpret Daniel 7, 13 through 14, in the same way that we interpreted the above passage. So let's let's just have like a cursory reading. I'm going to tell you the key verse here, the key line in this passage that can change the meaning for all of us. But let's just say that we have in our minds this idea that things are going to be really, really, really bad before Jesus returns. Then we might read this passage And we might see, okay, so Jesus, again, the Son of Man, comes on the clouds of heaven, and then he'll be given a kingdom. And so Jesus doesn't rule, Jesus isn't given his kingdom until the second coming, right? And so that's exactly why people believe that. That's exactly why people believe that Jesus is, maybe he's the king of heaven, and maybe he's the king of earth in some ethereal way, but not literally, because he won't actually receive his kingdom on earth from God until he returns, right? Until his second coming. But that uh, that misses something huge in this passage. And the line that it misses is, he came to the ancient of days. Let me read just the first part of it again. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. What is happening? Where is the son of man coming or going to? Where is he going? He's going to 
the Ancient of Days. And who is the Ancient of Days? The Ancient of Days is God the Father. And so what this is saying, this prophecy, this vision that Daniel is having, is that he sees one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days. To the Ancient of Days. So he is going to God the Father. He's not coming from God the Father. He's coming to God the Father. And so I think we can read passages like this and we read the word come and we automatically put ourselves in the picture and we think, oh, Jesus must be coming to us. He must be coming to earth. But if we take a look at Matthew 24, 30, uh, 29 through 31, Jesus says, then there will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Same language. That is a reference to this exact same passage. And where is the Son of Man coming to? He's coming to God. And so we need to understand both of these passages in the same way, or else we are just twisting them to put our own meaning into scripture, and we cannot do that because Daniel 7 makes it absolutely clear that this is not a picture of the Son of Man coming from God to earth, but it is a picture of the Son of Man coming from somewhere, presumably earth, to God. Then, when he goes to God, to the Ancient of Days, that is when he is given dominion and glory And a kingdom. All peoples, all nations will serve him. His dominion is everlasting. It shall not pass away. And his kingdom shall not be destroyed. That kind of changes the picture, doesn't it? This seems to be referring to something that we actually have seen. Not that happens in the future, but something that has happened in the past. Where have we seen in scripture... The Son of Man going to the Ancient of Days. Well, it was at the Ascension. In Acts 1.9, we read this. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Where was Jesus going? He was going to heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. Interesting. Right before he left... Jesus gave the disciples something we call the Great Commission, where he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And then he goes to the Ancient of Days, where, as Daniel 7, 13 through 14 says, he was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom. So the kingdom that he received was the kingdom that was right there. It was a small kingdom. But it was his kingdom. Now, if we go back to Matthew 29 through 31, uh, if we take that same interpretation of where Jesus is, is actually not talking about the second coming, but Jesus is talking about his ascension, that's, that's what we're talking about, the ascension. Daniel 7 is referring not to the second coming, but to the ascension. The ascension is when Jesus was given This authority, uh, the ascension is when Jesus was given his kingdom, where he is seated now at the right hand of God the Father on the throne. And who sits on thrones? Kings. 
And who is Jesus the king of? Heaven and earth. So Jesus is the king now. Jesus has dominion now. But let's see what else Jesus says in Matthew 24, 39 through 31. Let's go back. So he says, they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Let's just say that's the ascension, which it is. Verse 31 says this, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. So we also, if we think of uh, this referring to the ascension, Jesus is telling his disciples essentially exactly how this is going to play out. The ascension happens and then what happens? Jesus tells them, uh, go to Jerusalem and or the angels, I think. Anyway, they they go to Jerusalem and they go to the upper room and they're told to wait. Wait for great power to be given to you. <clears throat> and when the Holy Spirit comes on the, uh, the disciples, what exactly happens? It's a great sound like a rushing wind or perhaps like a trumpet. And Jesus says here, he will send out his angels. And what does angels mean? Angel is another word for messenger. So Jesus will send out his messengers with a loud trumpet call, which is the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. Super cool. Very cool. Uh, Well, yeah. Okay. So that's what that means. (laughs) This is referring to the ascension. We also see in Revelation 1 verse 7, the same exact verse being referenced. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. So this great tribulation that seemed to be happening, um, at least in this section of Revelation, and the tribulation that Jesus was talking about, seems to have happened prior to the ascension, which, uh, you know, at least does not discount the possibility that Things are actually going to get better before Jesus' return. There are far more reasons than this to uh, to believe in post-millennialism. Or the idea that uh, that Jesus is king now, and essentially the gospel will win. Uh, the gospel will fill the earth. Uh, the Great Commission will succeed, and the Dominion Mandate will not fail. That's essentially what post-millennialism is. And... Uh, this seems to agree with these passages. Also, in in Revelation one seven, um, yeah, we see this tribulation. We see like all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And so, like the the people who literally pierced Jesus were alive uh, when Jesus ascended. And so that's interesting uh, because this is you know, more evidence that a lot of this stuff has happened in the past. Not not all of Revelation has happened in the past, but a lot of Revelation has happened in the past. This is a view called partial preterism, uh, which is true. So a lot of people read Revelation and they think that every single thing in Revelation is going to happen in the future. Uh, but in reality, a lot of it has already happened in the past. And I think understanding this point helps us to understand the 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 um the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ better because it like all of these passages put together they tell us Jesus is king now he's not just king over heaven and he'll be king over earth 
on some future unknown date that could happen any day. But he's actually king now. And we are right now, Christians, his kingdom. And his kingdom will spread. His kingdom will fill the earth. The Great Commission, I believe, will succeed. The Dominion Mandate will win. The gospel will win. The gospel will fill the earth. Uh, and then Jesus will return. That's what postmillennialism believes. Uh, so very interesting view, I think. Whenever I, like the, the the key for me with this passage, like, I mean, this was huge because I, I grew up pre-millennial. I grew up believing that, you know, Jesus could return any day now because things are really bad. But whenever Jesus does return, things are going to be terrible. There's going to be a great tribulation. Um, you know, third of the earth's going to blow up or whatever, uh, locusts or attack helicopters from Russia are going to, you know, do their thing. <laughs> uh, horrible. Um, really discouraging too. I thought to myself, man, when I was younger, I thought to myself, man, I don't want Jesus to return. And so if we're reading the Bible in such a way where we start to believe that we don't want Jesus to return, then we're reading it wrong. We should be, because we know the greatest commands in the Bible is to love God and love your neighbor. If we're reading the Bible in such a way that actually makes us love God less, which means, which makes us not want Jesus to return, our Lord and our Savior and our God, then we're reading something wrong. So understanding this has not only helped me uh, understand that, you know, like we have a responsibility to advance God's kingdom on earth now. And this supports the idea of things like Christendom on earth. Uh, but also this, this passage has helped me become post-millennial and believe that like definitely at least these passages are, are not talking about the second coming at all. And there will be a second coming and there will be a resurrection a final resurrection of, of the dead where everybody is raised. But uh, this particular passage is talking about the second coming where Jesus ascended on the clouds of heaven to the ancient of days and received his kingdom then. So we are God's kingdom. We are God's people. Now it is our responsibility to build the kingdom. And when Jesus finally does return, I think things are going to look really, really good because they're going to win. Um, but we're not going to win until we get our acts together and start realizing that Jesus is king over earth now. Because once we realize Jesus is king and Lord and Jesus is Lord now, then you know that enables us to actually share the gospel to the ends of the earth. Hope that was informative. That's all I got. I'll catch you next time. God bless.